Welcome to Reckoning. My name is Ingrid, and I'm starting this podcast to share open and honest discussions about our experiences with death. I'm hoping that as a culture, we can grow to talk about it without it being feared as a heavy, scary, and overwhelming topic. Let's talk about it more, get a little more comfortable with it, wrestle and wonder and ask questions. Let's reckon with it. We all have to deal with this aspect of life. We will lose everyone we know, and we ourselves will die. So how can we face this reality with eyes more open, with some grace, humility, understanding, and even appreciation? How can we embrace this aspect of being a human and use it as a way to grow, learn, and expand? The goal of this podcast is to turn toward these shared experiences, using our stories and collective wisdom to gain some courage and strength and skill to face it. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to and have these conversations with me. Thanks for being willing to reckon with the topic of death and dying. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Keisha. I live in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> um, and I feel very fortunate to be able to participate in this project. I think it's a really neat idea. Cool. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I want to say on air, I'm really grateful that you're willing to be the first interviewee because it's a kind of an unknown thing that you're getting involved with and you're somewhat the guinea pig because I haven't done this before so so thank you happy to be the guinea pig yes you're brave being brave speaking of brave things we're gonna talk about what can be kind of a heavy topic so let's start with um, the general question which is have you lost someone close to you and who was it and Tell me about your relationship with them. Sure. Yeah, I lost my mother when I was 22 years old. She died after a really long battle with breast cancer, Mm -hmm. um, a total of about 10 years, I would say. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that given that you had kind of shared your your very first sort of intro mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of the podcast. Yeah, I thought uh, reviewing that, it was kind of interesting to think about like, wow, this is, you know, you were talking about how it's our society does not like Paris for death or that we don't talk about that. It was just kind of, I am in complete agreeance, but it was also kind of interesting to listen to that and go, wow, like in my case, I do feel like obviously I'm never you're never prepared for that but I think in my particular situation I felt 
way more prepared for that than mm-hmm. than probably most people have the opportunity to have, mm-hmm. which I'm really thankful for. Yeah. And so, yeah, given that 10 years, that experience filtering into um, my childhood, adolescence, mm-hmm. growth, high school, college, death, and the topic of that was... and illness and disease is like very present mm-hmm. in my existence. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So you it sounds like you had lots of time to have those conversations as a family. We did in our case. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I also recognize that other people in similar situations, their families don't have those discussions. Mm-hmm. But in my case, that was something that my parents and particularly my mother felt that it was very important to mm-hmm. talk about. And she, yeah, I think, like, in every existence of her being, wanted to, like, prepare us for, for prepare her children in particular for that as much as she could because she held so much regret about the fact that she knew that she would probably die before a lot of our life, big life events, and that... She she held a lot of sadness over not being able to mm. console us um, mm. during periods. So I think that while she was in our lives, she really wanted to kind of prepare us as best she could. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's an interesting and complicated dynamic I feel <laughs> that happens is you have your own grief and then the individual that's dying has their grief as well. Yeah. And then... So that then adds a whole layer of grief of like, oh, that, you know, I'm feeling my sadness and then I'm feeling the sadness of your sadness yep. and yep. Uh, compounding effect. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the conversations like? Were they pretty directed? Like, okay, we're going to talk about this or were there any themes to things that you felt like she really wanted hmm. wanted you to learn I think that it was kind of an evolving process, I guess is maybe how I'd phrase it, because, you know, she she went, she, you know, she had cancer and went into remission, had cancer again, went into remission, and then the third time that it came back, she was told that it was, like, metastatic, that it would be chronic, and that she, you know, she was aware that that would be what would eventually kill her. And so... Yeah, when I look back on like the whole trajectory of those 10 years, I think that death maybe wasn't so much necessarily a topic at the beginning, but definitely towards the end. And I think but uh, the reason I say I feel like it was sort of an evolving process is because going through those periods of cancer and remission and cancer, mm-hmm. you know, she also dealt with loss from losing a breast and then, you know, watching that grief, watching the grief of her losing her hair or Mm -hmm. um, dealing with illness or being unable to be present for some things. And I think that like a lot of, you know, smaller or shall we say smaller losses going through that were those like the topic of loss, I think, Mm -hmm. was a lot of a discussion and topic of grief. And then kind of towards the end, I think there was a lot more sort of frankness about it. I felt like she was really honest and real about sort of what she was going through. You know, I remember her as somebody that was like a really, really strong 
strong individual. And while I did experience, I can think of many times that I experienced, you know, seeing her grieve or cry or her having conversations about that with us. It sounds like in the last few years it changed and became less of a conversation about loss and potential hope and then that not happening and then and more so like okay well I'm dying and right the conversation yeah. shifts to like how are we going to deal with death rather than how are we going to deal with this illness or definitely and she, and she vocalized you know some things like she had told us that it was really important to her if at all possible that we could be there when mm-hmm. on hospice mm-hmm. and going to die and so there, you know, there were things like that. And after, kind of jumping ahead, but after she passed away, you know, she had put together all of these pieces of like a journal and videos and mm-hmm. things that she probably did in both preparation for herself to process that loss and, and her death. Do you want to talk a little bit about the journal? Maybe if there's anything that's like really stuck out or was really impactful or even just like the process of reading through that? How long did you wait till you read it or? Yeah, so I definitely read it right away (laughs) when I got it. But I would say she passed away in 2009. Mm -hmm. So we are approaching 10 years um, at this point. I, I do recall after she passed away that, you know, there would be times that like this was both something that was comforting to me but also drew up a lot of emotions Mm -hmm. and a lot of sadness and a Mm -hmm. lot of tears one of your questions was about where did that person go or you know what do you believe in spiritually for me I don't believe that she's like up in the clouds or that she has like a physical presence or a spirit somewhere where I do feel like I guess the best way that I can phrase it is that like, because I'm her daughter and she raised me, Mm -hmm. so many of her values and her genes exist in me. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's more sort of this piece of like, as I continue in my life and navigate decisions and have new experiences, I find different ways that sort of remind me of her or feel like that's because of my mother or that thought or that memory or that opinion exists because of my mother. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah totally. And so in, in I feel like, you know, she's present in that way and she's present in everybody that ha- she's yeah. touched in her life that has exper- who has experienced her, who's interacted with her. Today, when reviewing this and sort of reflecting upon her life and her death and my grieving process. And I was kind of then, you know, thinking about that piece and then then reading this journal today, that opinion that I had about this, she literally just wrote here. And did that happen? You know, did, did I'm sure that exists because she, you know, imprinted that opinion upon me, but here it is again to sort of be reflected again. And so I get to yeah, it's, and it's a nice way to, like, re-experience her, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. So sort of going with that thought, she has this, I don't know if it's really a poem per se, but she wrote this in 2007, and it's called Reverberation. 
And her handwriting is so similar to mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> she says, in time, all that I have done, all that I have lived will be forgotten. But there is that within me which says it is important that I cherish my existence, as it is the essence of that which will reverberate even when I am gone. Mm. I Yeah, I read that and I went, yeah, that's pretty similar to how I experience her, too. Yeah. So that was one piece that stood out for me. And then another one which I had totally forgotten about but had referred to often after she had died that I that brought me a lot of comfort was she she sort of has this uh, mantra that she would use whether she was in pain or sadness or when she she even says like uh, she would often say some of these before she would go to sleep may I have peace may my heart remain open may I awaken to the light of my inner being may I be healed May I feel lightness and joy. May I be calm. May I have the grace to accept what life gives me. May I have the wisdom to ask questions. May I be present. May I appreciate the moment. May I be a source of healing for others. myself during times that I was grieving Mm, too definitely Mm -hmm. well and it's a nice companion to what you were reading about the reverberations because that's such a beautiful thing to put that intention those intentions Mm -hmm. and have that be what is reverberating you know so she's using that for her own process of healing and dealing with pain and loss and then it reverberates out and becomes something that you use. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you shared them. I really like them both. This Most of this is really a mix of journaling, a mix of letters written to me, letters written to my sister, poems, emails that she wrote. One of many things that I remember about my mother was she really valued or at least striving to be well-rounded. And so I recall, for example, she wasn't particularly good at art, but she really tried to do that. Art and music was something that she maybe wasn't, didn't come, it didn't come naturally to her, but she held um, a lot of importance Mm. and value in being able to at least practice that Mm. element of things. So I'm sure that journaling and writing mantras and things like that was part of that practice yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Mm-hmm. Do you have any specific memories of not-so-great art or music or something? <laughs> or everything's like, nice try, Mom. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know... <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of the art was... You, she, got, she got good at it, though. You know, mm. like, she... She got into quilting and don't recall it ever seeing 
bad quilts. They were gorgeous. But she did a lot of like art therapy classes too. And so she did some painting with that. And like, I definitely recall looking at those and be like, not so great, (laughs) but you know, it held so much meaning to her and it was a process. And so like there was beauty in that too. And, and, and and it was beautiful as a result of that, you know? Right. Yeah. It's not like, (laughs) it's not like you look at that and go, wow, what a gorgeous piece. Right. Now it's put in my living room. (laughs) No, definitely not. That's great. One of the questions I really wanted to be able to ask is just some of your like happiest memories or funniest times. So many of the happy, funny moments that I think of were at the time felt really embarrassing, but looking back were really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I remember when I went to college, so my mother as a background was a nurse practitioner and had has a very strong background in the medical field as a result. So she always raised us talking about, you know, our body parts as the actual terms that they are. Like they were called breasts, not boobs. It's your vagina. Like, so with that, when I went to college, she insisted, I think I refused and she somehow snuck it into my, um, suitcase that she threw in like a whole bunch of condoms and she like had a prescription for plan b for me I was (laughs) like I just didn't want it I you know and I um and then proceedingly like constantly just like kept sending me condoms and I was like I'm not having sex I'm not doing doing these things and she goes well you can just share them share them with people like either way I just want you to be prepared them to be prepared whoever to be prepared like it's just there it's you know like (laughs) yeah and so there's lots of things like that that I love it it wasn't I didn't associate it as like a happy moment at that time but looking back it was pretty hilarious right 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 very Oh, I love um, that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. I feel like my mom is a little bit similar, just really open and happy to like talk about those things pretty frankly. Mm-hmm. And it in a way it's like excellent parenting just for the reverse psychology. Oh, I know. Of like yeah. Yeah. I would never do that. You know, like my mom would talk about drugs and I'd be like, stop, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> You know, you know, whereas if like maybe it had been like some secretive thing, it would right. have had more appeal. But right, right. <laughs> my mom has done that. So like, <laughs> like my mom gave me these condoms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. Takes a little bit of the sexiness factor out of it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. Well, she sounds great. Yeah. She yeah. Was- She's good. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're in, you work in hospitals now, right? Mm -hmm. You're in in the medical field. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's something that she influenced in you a little bit? Or do you feel any connection to her in that setting? Definitely. I think I'm probably drawn towards the population that I work with as a result of her too. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as a result of the fact that, so to preface, like I work with, older adults. I think that oftentimes in my job, we often end up in discussions about quality of life, personal choices, finding the line between what is the medically recommended thing and what is what realistically works for that person Mm -hmm. and their situation and where they're at. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that as a result, 
of having a mother who ultimately in the end had what was a chronic illness. I think that I feel connected to her because I have to have those conversations sometimes with my patients, but I also, as a result of that experience, am more comfortable having those conversations where I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. kind of shy away from that or are afraid to even ask Mm -hmm. um, certain questions outright. Mm -hmm. And for me, I almost like welcome that discussion because it's real and it's honest and it's an individual decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a question I wanted to ask is how this experience of going through the whole process of your mother's illness and ultimately her death how it's changed your perspective. And I I get in this particular instance, it would be really tough, right? Because it's like, how has the last 10 years changed your perspective? Mm -hmm. Obviously, in many ways. But Mm -hmm. anyway, that's already a beautiful answer. I don't know if you have any more to build on that. Going through those 10 years, a huge lesson that I think that our parents taught us as well as sort of what I put into practice and took away from was to always be appreciative Mm -hmm. of what you have and to be as present Mm -hmm. as you can be I feel like I notice that about myself sometimes not that I not that I spend time with other people and go oh you don't appreciate things (laughs) but I just I notice that I'm constantly vocalizing Mm. oh this is you know such a good meal or this this sun feels so good and I constantly like pause and just like feel that or Mm. often really like admire a leaf on a walk or how cozy a blanket is or (laughs) the feeling of tea warming up your hands or, you know, really small moments all the time that, I mean, I think that I'm a happier person for that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that that was definitely, that's a big thing that I noticed. And then I think that I also am certainly empathetic as a result Mm -hmm. of all of this. I also hold the opinion that pain is not something that can be quantified Mm. or compared Mm. and that one person's pain is not worse or better than another person's pain. That sorrow or that sadness is their feelings and they are valid and whether that's a loss over that you spilt coffee on your shirt to to losing your job, to losing somebody who's close to you. Like, you never know what somebody's going through. Maybe that coffee spilt on that person's shirt. They've been having a really shitty day, and they also deal with depression and anxiety, and they have financial stressors, and they're going through a divorce, and they mm-hmm. spilled coffee on their shirt. And that was like, it's not just about the coffee on their shirt, but that, but that you know, that just like is the thing that tips it over the edge or whatever it is. So maybe they are crying over the coffee spilled on their shirt, but like that pain or that sadness is real for them. And who am I to ever state that that's not worthy of feeling? And so I definitely feel like my perspective was changed having experienced death and just kind of going through that process. I guess I just really hold that opinion that everybody really experiences things and they're, it, it's, it's individual. And it, I think a lot of people felt sad for me too, at, mm-hmm. which is obviously understandable, but I think sometimes they quantified my sadness to be 
so much more intense than mm. sometimes it was or or vice versa or, mm. you know it was just kind of interesting to think about like yeah just how people attempt to categorize that mm. and rather than trying to understand just existing in its present right. and you have no idea what what scale that's at you right, know it's right, just right, what right. what they're experiencing right right yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's something I've bumped into a little bit with this project is like I've reached out to people to ask them to participate and a few people have said well I haven't I haven't lost a parent so I don't feel like it's relevant mm-hmm. that is not true at all even if you lost a dog that you had for 15 years it's mm-hmm. a huge loss mm-hmm. and that's absolutely okay. right that's a big part of your life like of course that's relevant you know yeah and I think one of the ironies about going through the process of grief and losing someone important in your life is that it in some ways it ends up being like you know a really influential and positive and huge part of our mm-hmm. our world worldview and that's such like a messy thing to talk about like of course of course you can't be like I'm so grateful that my dad died so that I can have these conversations but I am kind of you know? yeah <laughs> yeah so that's a that's a tricky thing to yeah to talk about sometimes but. and I think too like because people I think are often afraid to ask or mm-hmm. afraid to talk about it people shy away from those conversations and yeah. I, I find sometimes too that I'm kind of really appreciative that I got to be present when my mom died and like I actually hold that memory you know it's a mix mm-hmm. of feeling really fond about that and mm-hmm. also really sad Absolutely. and and it feels weird that I don't get the opportunity to talk about that because yeah. I, obviously why would I bring it up? Right. But also nobody wants to ask about it. Right, right, right. <laughs> so. Right. Well, yeah. let me ask about it. <laughs> this is the perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> this is what this is for. <laughs> so were you, it sounds like you were there mm-hmm. and she asked you to be there. So just set the scene, maybe tell me who was there and where you were and yeah, yeah. just what it was like. She knew where her cancer was spreading, and so, and given her medical background, knew kind of what that would look like mm-hmm. as well for her medically, sort of how she would mm-hmm. likely die. Mm-hmm. And so she was really able to sort of articulate to some extent what she wanted that to look like. And so she was on hospice, had, she was at home and then required more oxygen and mm-hmm. so that's kind of at the point that they had sort of brought in um hospice team and kind of set up a bed and had some supplemental oxygen for her at bedside and um I was in living in Portland and working my first job out of college and got the call that, that she was dying and that it was time for me to come home essentially sort of quit my job I ended up having it when I got back but I really didn't think I was going to be able to go back to that job I remember like packing up my desk and leaving because they said well when are you going to come back and I said I don't know yeah I have no idea I don't know when she's going to die and I don't know when I'll be back and she had I had probably had the opportunity to spend I think between like two to three weeks with her before she died and so it was me and my uh, my sister had flown home from Austria um she was studying abroad and so she came back within within that week that I had gotten there and my father of course was living 
living at home, and so was there. And my mother had, uh, she was one of 10 siblings, but did not allow everybody to kind of come during that Mm -hmm. time just because she wanted to be able to have a bit more quietness. And she also knew that there were people that had different opinions about that grieving process and spirituality and passing over, and she didn't want that Mm -hmm. to be present. Um, So she had kind of really designated people that she allowed in her home and the rest were conversations by phone. Mm -hmm. But she had one sister, my aunt Sheila, who was there the whole time. Her mother, my grandmother, and one other sister had come to visit for just like a couple days and then left. And she had some friends that, you know, came in to visit for for tea or uh, different things like that. But the people that were there the whole time were my aunt, me, my dad, and my sister. The days were kind of just filled with visiting and her taking naps and us visiting with those that were there and drinking tea. And <laughs> she kind of had like a oxygen line that got her range out of the bedroom to like a chair in the living room. And that was probably in reality all she had the energy to mm-hmm. move around as it was. So I even had a couple of my close girlfriends even came down to visit mm-hmm. during that time, which was really yeah. special for me. And I, I think she really valued that too, mm-hmm. in a way, because mm-hmm. they were able to be there for me. And also, yeah, we just had a lot of conversations and and then now I am able to talk with them about that mm-hmm. because they were there during that time as well. Um, I remember the days feeling really lengthy, but also went by really quickly. Mm-hmm. I remember waking up one morning and I had slept in and I came out of the bedroom and my sister and my dad and the hospice, one of the hospice nurses had said that it was time and that she was sleeping deeper and and so we, we went into the room and she wasn't really communicating she she seemed like she was kind of just asleep and breathing slowly and the plan was to be able to say our goodbyes and then they were gonna up the morphine and then she would pass and so yeah we each got some time with her and I remember feeling like, what am I going to (laughs) say? And I remember somebody suggested, like, you can just, like, hug her. I remember hugging her and telling her I love her. And I remember as I was, like, leaned over and holding her, I heard, like, a whisper, like, I love you. And whether or not that really happened, I don't know. But I remember sort of jumping back from her because I didn't expect to to hear that or to, you know, it felt really real in that moment. And yeah, I remember just kind of really holding on to that and during for a period, just like, wow, that was really special to be able to at least like hear that or, or feel that or my brain thought that. But regardless, it was really nice to have that closure, feel that love. And then, yeah, once we had, everybody had had that opportunity, we sort of, uh, we just sat in the room and the nurse upped the morphine and her breathing became slower and more parsed out and the nurse had described medically too so that we might not 
we would hear an exhale and or a slight inhale almost, and that it didn't mean that she was still breathing, that it was um, the elastic recoil of the of the lungs. And so then she had taken her last breath, and we just kind of sat there quietly. And right after that moment, I remember the sun kind of peeked over the trees and filled the room with this really sort of like soft, warm light. And yeah, we just kind of sat there and were present. Mm. It was really nice. Looking back, I think about, I often associate or think of my mother when there's random bits of sunlight that find find ways or rays that, you know, not necessarily on like a extensive sunny day, but something that sort of just peeks through or mm-hmm. seems to just show up out of nowhere. <laughs> kind of often will think of her when I feel that on my skin or feel that warmth. And, yeah. and she often thought about when she was going through treatments, visualizing herself sort of wrapped in like a warm mm-hmm. blanket of healing and protection and mm-hmm. safety. And so mm-hmm. I kind of think of it in that way too. Mm-hmm. That's really lovely. I like that. And nice that that's a thing that, you know, you can always carry with you and have mm-hmm. with you. And mm-hmm. like, and then like re- the reverberation concept. Mm-hmm. And also her living on in just a completely different form. Sure. So to speak. Yeah, yeah. And I really resonate with what you said about the moment of not really knowing if what you were experiencing was real Mm -hmm. or not. Because I think that this is kind of a judgmental statement, but I feel like often when people feel really sure about something spiritual, Mm -hmm. I I feel resistant to that. And I think to be unsure and to say I don't know is a much more honest and potentially real place to be with it. And to me that makes it feel more real. And anyways, that's not to judge other people that are certain they had a, the spiritual experience, but yeah. But anyway, things I've read about stories of people in hospice and people in death and dying is that there's often this somewhat mystical component to mm-hmm. what's happening, and mm-hmm. and I love that. Like it's um, magical, magical. I I just think <laughs> that's part of what is so deep and and life changing about interacting with death is that it's this mystical, unknown, expansive aspect of being a human that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we don't fully get to explain or understand and yeah. Um, it's challenging, but that also can there can be some really beautiful mm-hmm. things that come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so given that we have five minutes left, <laughs> uh, is there anything else that you really want to talk about or say? Um, I feel like there's so much more that yeah, we, we could talk about, um, which I'm happy. Anyway, we can arrange it again if you want. Uh, yeah, no, we could definitely always yeah. pick up again. But um, Let me just ask one more question, then, yeah. which is, do you have any advice or something that was really helpful to you when you went through your grieving process? Um, obviously, everybody's different, and there's some things that work for people and some things that don't, but like you had mentioned some people like weren't unable to like talk about it or ask about things. I think one thing that was really helpful to me was often people would ask about my mom or, or assume that I have a mother that's alive. And rather than I'm very much somebody that often tries to like pair those, that person's emotions, but I found that like in that particular instance, because so many people are afraid or timid or feel awkward about that situation rather than 
respond in a similar sense, responding in a way that is really frank, really honest, and and open. So because if you can respond in that way, then that also opens the opportunity for that person to feel more comfortable about asking you um, or asking more questions versus a short, quick response or also feeling awkward about it because if you respond in that way, then somebody also continues to shy away from that subject as a result. Yeah, yeah. And that's like a feedback thing, right? Like as, as one person is vulnerable and open then the other person can do that, and yep. then it just kind of feeds off of that. Yeah, and, and yeah, that makes a lot of sense. yeah I, f- I feel like I often had to take on that responsibility, which was fine to mm-hmm. be able to set that tone. Yeah, because nobody else is going to set it for you except right. you. And if you if you open that space and create that space, then it allows for mm-hmm. for that person to potentially meet you there as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I really like that. And that's good advice for life in general. You yeah, know? We're that's so, true. It's so quick and easy for us. But how are you doing? Fine. Oh, good. How are you? You know? Right. As opposed to being like, I'm really tired today because I had a test and I did poorly on it mm-hmm. or whatever it sure. is. You know, yeah. that was a bad example. But yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> I just want to say one more thing, which is that I am not an expert. I'm not here to tell people how to grieve or heal or what death is or isn't. My main goal with this project is simply to create space for us to share our stories about death and dying, and from that collective experience, enable all of us to feel less alone in facing the challenges of grief and loss. Thank you for listening, for being brave and vulnerable and for your time. Any questions or comments, please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you and perhaps share your story too.